Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. I'm Matt. And I'm Kevin. Spectology is a podcast where every month we pick a book, read it, and talk about it. Uh, usually over the course of two episodes. This is our pre-read, spoiler-free episode for Dark Eden by Chris Beckett. Uh, this is a book that Matt and I have both read multiple times, really like, um, and in particular, I think have a lot to say about it. Um, and we've talked about it in a bunch of our previous episodes, so we're really excited to kind of, you know, the the first episode of our like one year of podcasting get into this book. Um, we also uh, have as a guest this month. Kevin, who has uh, guested with us before on the um, audiobooks and ebooks discussion that we had a couple of months ago. Uh, yeah, Kevin, do you want to talk a little bit about yourself, your history with science fiction, that kind of thing? And then we'll, uh, we'll dive into the book. Yeah, sure. Um, I write uh, book reviews and essays at Herodis.com. Um, you can find me at, at Kevin W. Kelsey, most places. And uh, I just read a lot of science fiction. I'm a huge fan of it have been for a long time and really just enjoy conversing, talking about it, writing about it, getting thoughts out there about it. Welcome back, dude. And happy anniversary. Uh, yeah. hey, Adrian. Happy, happy anniversary <laughs> to you, you, you too. Yeah. Thanks guys. Yeah. This is our first, uh, you know, I think this will be dropping the day after a full year from our first episode. So that'll be <laughs> kind of, cool. kind of a fun, a fun little milestone. We've been doing this for a full year and uh, yeah, Kevin, thanks for coming back on. We had a really great time last time you were on and, um, you yeah, know, really looking forward to reading this book with someone who is not me and Matt, <laughs> like read it for the first time and, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully get to uh, bring that perspective to it. Um, I'm imagining uh, uh, that that meme of the guy and the girl and the guy's looking back at another girl and like Kevin is the other girl and like I'm the first girl. It's <laughs> <laughs> looking back at Kevin. That's what I'm imagining. That was. Uh, <laughs> I love describing memes in audio form. <laughs> That's what podcasting is for, dude. They don't teach this shit in NPR school. All right. <laughs> yeah, I Ira Glass can't do that. <laughs> he can try. Um, so <laughs> we should probably get into, uh, dark Eden a little bit, uh, you know, maybe talk about some facts, facts, facts pertaining to the book. Facts. <laughs> um, so dark Eden published in 2012. Uh, I think it was, uh, in England. It was then published two years later again in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, two whole years. Wow. Yeah, two whole years. And his other books have, um, like America City took a year and a half or something like that. He also has another book that will be out around the same time this episode drops. Um, and that's just getting published in the UK for right now. He's not sure when it's coming to to the US. So it sounds like he's often had this kind of, you know, his stuff takes a little bit longer mm -hmm. to make it make its way across the pond. And um it did in 2012 win the Arthur C. Clarke Award. Uh, so in that, it fits in with a couple of other books that we've read, including um, Children of Time. I actually, I wrote down The Sparrow. I don't The Sparrow did win, I think. Yeah. Oh, oh the, the Sparrow also. Yeah. And and a few, I think one other book we read uh, one. I, I don't remember which one, though. So it's, uh, you know, 
Kevin, you were mentioning this. It's it's an award that I like. We kind of all associate often with like big ideas y type yeah. of science fiction. Um, it's specifically Definitely. for science fiction published in the UK that year, although not necessarily by a British author. Uh, that said, it tends to be like ideas y and big and, you know, kind of like maybe doing something like interesting narratively or like different um, from a writing perspective, as opposed to being just like specifically like literary fiction. Um, yeah. So with that, uh, Dark Eden is a bit of a like post-apocalyptic survivalist colonization type story uh, in that respect. It has a lot in common with semiosis, which we just, you know, finished up reading, uh, which we talked about last month. And, um, you know, part of why we decided to pick this book this month was we brought it so up so much while talking about semiosis. So, like, you know, we should actually just like finally read this book and like talk about <laughs> it in depth because it constantly gets, gets brought up on this podcast. Yeah. And this way, this is a good like synergy for the content gods because next time we bring it up, as we undoubtedly will, we'll just point people to this episode. Oh, man. I love that content content synergy Adrian's hashtag content hashtag synergy <laughs> um right and it will you know hopefully it's uh hopefully it's interesting for folks too i mean i like we talk about it because we like it we like right particularly thinking about the ideas in it um it does a really interesting job of presenting those ideas so uh that'll be cool it is um we should talk about content warnings really quickly here um there's a couple different scenes of like sexual assault um it's not nearly as like graphic as say semiosis or the sparrow or whatever was and it actually kind of like gets into the emotional content of that and like you know whether or not something is considered sexual assault so that's something that is um dealt with by the like text of the book as well uh there's also i would some, say like, it, i just sorry to interrupt but yeah. I, I would say it is i was pretty disturbed so I, I wouldn't although what you said yeah. i think i agree with nonetheless it's it's disturbing and so you know worth worth no it's not it's not uh it's not like one sentence thrown out there it's it's definitely no. yeah no, no, that's why I mentioned that, like, the book actually mm -hmm. deals with the, like, emotional content uh, of this stuff. Um, and, you know, I think I found it in a lot of ways of the books we've read, maybe, like, the like the sexual assault stuff was, like, the hardest for me um, to deal mm. with. And, and I'll talk about that more specifically in the post-read, I think, because I don't want to get too deep into it now. Um, mm. There's also the usual kind of, like, science fictional violence, you know people die animals die that kind of stuff um i suppose if incest is troubling um that may that may be something troubling to people i right, don't know right yeah and that we'll we'll get into like why and how that happens it's that that's a good point matt um there's also a lot of like discussion of like disability in the book um, oh, that's actually, this is a really good content warning. Yeah, I totally yeah. didn't. Yeah. It's uh, in particular, like disability is handled in a lot of different ways. There are several like, you know, essentially like genetic disabilities uh, that come from this being like a very small population and genetic population of people who've been surviving over generations. Uh, and the book also deals with, you know, the way people treat disabled people, both like for good and bad, uh, the way disabled people like can, you know, react to the way that they're treated. Uh, there are slurs that are not like our modern slurs in any way, but that are slurs in the context of the book that get used for uh, different disabled characters. 
Um, and then the one thing I will say to, to go back to this point that, um, that Mendez had uh, a couple of episodes ago is one of the things it does do is there are some disabled characters who are sort of like the bad guys. Uh, there are also disabled characters who are the good guys or disabled characters who like, you know, don't really sit on either side of that. So the book has a very broad perspective on that kind of disability as well as uh, Chris has written on his blog about how he himself like grew up disabled uh, and some of the disability in the book is actually like from his own experience. Uh, but it's, I think really worth kind of pointing out before you get into this, mm -hmm. that if that's the kind of thing that you do or don't want to read about, you know, it's, it's here and it's a very important part of the book. Yeah. It's not a small thing. And there are, um, there's also uh, more than one type of disability, which I think is a really yep. uh, an important addition. You know, it's not it's not the case that he just has created sort of like one fantasy disability to represent like non-normal people. No, instead, he's trying to the sense I get is he's trying to create a, a, f a fully realized world where there are just different kinds of people of different abilities you know, right, right. That's great. And I will, I will link to his blog post about his growing up disabled and the way he thinks about disability and ability and different abilities, uh, in, in the show notes here, because I think it might actually be a useful context if you're on the fence about mm, it. Totally. Of totally. Um, you know, and also like being able bodied myself, like I, you know, I don't want to be like, oh, it's like definitely handles it super well or whatever. Just to say right. that like there's a there's right. a bigger context to it. And like it's the kind of thing that like sounds like it it's like it, it with a different author. I wouldn't trust it as much, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it is, you know, to give a brief story synopsis, it's about a group of people who are living on a, you know, kind of kind of interesting planet. It's a wandering planet, a planet without a sun, and instead all the heat is geothermal and biological heat, and all the light is bioluminescence. Um, and it's about this group of people who are descended from some folks who crash-landed on the planet uh, generations ago, and it's about them kind of making their own way on this planet. Planet. Uh, and it tells the story of sort of like a revolutionary moment, for lack of a better word, like in this society, this kind of like moment when the society really has to like ask some big questions about what it wants to be and deals a lot with the sociological ramifications of like both those like bigger societal choices as well as the individual human choices that like lead to all of that. Um, it's a really kind of cool book in that way. Um, it's very much about, I would say, like sociology and politics and like how society works on a kind of person by person level, um, yeah. which which should suggest why we like it so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so hard to sum up because it's also about a lot of other things that I'm sure we'll get to later in the episode. But that's, you know, that's a good summary. It's also worth saying that it is the first of a trilogy but it is totally a standalone book. If you if you wanted to only read this, you would be fine. Right. I think I just read this and it was like two years before I read the other two books. And this book in particular is very much a standalone. I think originally it was written as a standalone novel. And yeah. then he had the idea for some if like... there was a, a break between the first and yeah, the second one. There, like there was. And there was also a break between the second and the third, I okay. believe. Yeah. 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 I believe each time he... he thought he was done and then like came up with some something actually interesting to do in the world and sure. um, so so spoilers they don't all die by the end of this one <laughs> 
Right. I'm actually there are, interested. There are more books after this one. <laughs> There's someone who <laughs> survives. There. Yeah. Um, maybe, or maybe it's all about the bioluminescence. Um, <laughs> I'm actually really interested, Kevin, you have read only a small amount of this book, but if you had to sort of describe it to somebody else um, without passing judgment on it, perhaps, or if you want, sure. Um, how would you, how would you describe it? It has a far, it has a far future feel to it. It definitely also feels post-apocalyptic, but I think only in that it is not our current society. It's more of a, 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 it feels like a, like a stripped down version of, of our society so far. Um, and then a setting that's very, very alien, especially with the wandering world type thing. It's, uh, it's fun to kind of think about how different things would be without a, without a star, without a sun, without light, without Mm. uh, day night cycles, Mm -hmm. um, with all of the things, all those things that we take for granted where it's just part of our world. And, uh, that being not there at all totally changes a lot of things that I didn't really think about until reading these first, uh, I'm like five, six chapters into it, something like that. But it's very, it's a very different existence. Um, Mm -hmm. changing the sense of time. How do you track time? If you don't have a sunrise, you know, if you can't see where you're rotating, you don't have any kind of frame of reference, what, what gets lost without that frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah how do you just like mark time? How do you count days or years if there's no, exactly no thing that determines a year? Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I would say, these are all things that the book is, these are questions the book is interested in. And so mm-hmm. if you're interested in them, I don't think you'll be, um, there will be something here for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of the cool things. I mean, like the book, uh, is not sprawling necessarily, but the book like deals with a lot of different stuff and anything that we can like bring up here. Like the book's text is actually interested in that, which is something that I, I really like about it. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think too, just really briefly, Chris Beckett um, is a former social worker who, you know, born, raised, lives in the UK. Um, he's published the Dark Eden trilogy. He recently published a novel called America City that's about climate change in America. Uh, he's currently, as of like eight, this April, uh, beneath a world, beneath the world, a sea is his most recent novel, which sounds really fascinating. It, it actually kind of is sort of like from the synopsis, it feels like kind of a mix of like the Southern Reach trilogy and like Nomon or something along those lines. So wow. I'm really interested good, in reading it. Yeah, it's a good comparison. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, you know, with his last few books, when they were published as paperback, they were also published in ebook in the US. So hopefully that'll be true of this one, too, because I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, are like, you know, 20 percent of listeners who are in the UK you can read it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently this is this is an episode where we make the subtext text. <laughs> um, oh, just real quick on the on the fact that he's a social worker, I just wanted to mention also I thought it was really interesting that he's um, also a very accomplished textbook author. He's written a lot oh, yeah. very extensively yeah, of huh. nonfiction about how to do social work. He's written manuals and textbooks on the on the subject, more than one. Um, right. And they are apparently, you know, in use and, and not fringe. Um, or so I've read. 
So that's kind yeah. Of I mean, they're still published and like used in the UK to like teach social yeah. work. Yeah, and I think that's definitely something to think about as you know you approach this book is to think about how that that perspective kind of shapes his writing and his perspective or the characters' perspectives. It's it's yeah. different. I think this may be the first social worker author that we've read. So it's kind of interesting to think about you know the the, the differences that that might result in. Yeah, that is cool. A lot of times you get science fiction authors who have a background in, you know, astronomy or or uh, linguistics or biology or something like that. But I, I don't know if I've read one specifically that I know of uh, that was written by a social worker. That's a totally different background. That'll bring a lot of cool things. Yeah, yeah. I've read some like fantasy by anthropologists or psychologists okay. before, but but this is, um, you know, for being it's not hard science fiction but it's very interested in the science of what it's doing um you know for, for being what it is it's definitely uh, not unique i guess is the wrong word but unique in my experience like i haven't read a lot of other books with this particular perspective and and you know a sort of expert perspective in particular mm. yeah so adrian i think you had some comment also to make about just as a kind of a psa for people who might be interested in reading it um, who might also be interested in the audiobook? Oh, yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Um, so I have been listening to the audiobook as a sort of um, way of just refreshing myself before the pre-read um, to, to kind of like skim the book without having to actually skim it. And uh, I will say that uh, as... As the three of us actually discussed on an episode a couple of months ago, uh, you know, my history with audiobooks is like I'm not the hugest fan of them. I tend to prefer to like read, read. Um, that said, uh, this audiobook in particular, I think, doesn't quite do the book justice, particularly because of the way the book is interested in language. A lot of it, that gets a little bit elided when you're just hearing people pronounce the words instead of actually like seeing how the words are written and how the syntax is used and getting to like sit with that on the page a little bit. Uh, so I just thought, you know, this is, you know, purely my experience listening to like two chapters of the audiobook or whatever. Uh, but if you're on the fence of audiobook versus non audiobook, like we're going to be talking about like the text as written, I think very heavily. And that's, you know, or like our perspective on it. And I think it's, it's one of these cases where it's actually really written for, reading on the page or the ebook or whatever okay yeah interesting worth knowing i as an audiobook uh enjoyer i appreciate hearing that so i guess like maybe we should talk a little bit about like why we chose this book does that make sense i'm into it i mean we often do this i think it's useful because you know one of the things that you might want from an episode like this talking about a book that no that we're not actually discussing in depth is should i read it or not do i want right. am i going to be interested in this and you know one really good way to get that is for us and that's why we do this all the time is for us to tell you why we like it why we were interested in the first place or what what why we think you know it's good um for my part i i really like so many things about it it's sort of almost hard to sum it up i think you know, number one, it's like a very good book, in my opinion. I think it does a really good job dealing with a lot of complex and interesting topics all at once. It has this ability to balance lots of different things and not let any of them slip too far. And it's also self-contained 
Um, it's and and it also somehow balances being self-contained and being part of a larger story, which I also like. To get a little bit more specific, I really like in particular. I've talked before about this kind of thread in the history of science fiction, the sort of Robinson Crusoe mm-hmm. thread, um, mm-hmm. the types of stories that are about building things, physical and social. Um, this is one of those books. I really like books like that. It's about building society and changing society and and rebuilding society and trying to, um, you know, kind of take... Um, history and almost like write a fanfic of history of a history or of a (laughs) of a classic Mm -hmm. work of of ancient literature that describes you know the the mythical origins of a of a a society it's almost like taking one of those and writing a fanfic of it um with at the same time a huge interest in scientific detail um so it's it's kind of just combining and balancing really well a lot of things that i'm you know really interested in um and, uh, you know, the sweep of history in particular is something that I really love. So I love, you know, ancient histories and I love the idea of writing a sort of ancient history, but that's made up. And I love the idea of, uh, injecting made up science into that same type of story. So I think like in general stories that do those things are stories that I love. And this is such a story and it's also very good. So that's why I like it. So would you mm-hmm. say that it's it's uh, a world building novel that it's it's primarily focused on that or to the degree hmm. that world building also includes like politics and people? Okay. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, you know, it's not. It, it's definitely it has characters. It has really interesting and strong characters and characters that like I find really compelling. Um, that said the like world building is hugely important to everything that it does. And the, like, there's something even about the, you know, this novel, like the events of this novel are treated as legend and, you know, myth almost in the, in the next novels because they're set like really far in the future. But there's also something just kind of, um, like epic about, the novel itself like epic in the sense of like an epic there's something kind of like it feels like reading a legend or a or an epic or a sort of like this kind of story and like you know in that way yes it is. and i think this is what matt means when he says like historical fan fiction okay. is there's this air of you know it's like the 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 characters are in a story that's bigger than just about them, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. also, it's about how they as people react to being in that story. Yeah. I I mean, to me, it's interesting. I, I had to pause when you asked that question, but I think actually, I think that it is more interested in, you know, <laughs> ca- characters are important to this book, but I think the book is more interested in stories and social phenomena than it is in characters. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the characters are, are, uh, are parts of the story almost more than their people. I see. Yeah. In this the, book. The one thing I will say, the reason I'm having a hard time with this is because coming off the heels of semiosis, Matt, where that was even mm. like more true and the yes. ca- and like that's very much not a character driven novel whereas this is a character driven novel even while everything you said is true. 
Yes, it's a hard yes, thing to yes. balance in a in a book too. That's that's pretty exciting to, if it can handle both of those things. It's, it's usually yeah. one or the other, from what I've found. You know, where one where character work is a little weaker in a book that has very mm-hmm. strong world building, or yeah, or is more story driven rather than character driven. It's a hard yeah. thing to balance when you can find that across those three. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I frankly find this book very exciting. This book is very exciting to me. So. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. I mean, this is part of why we like it so much. I will say it's, you know, of the three, like, characters may be the weakest element, right? <laughs> like, it's not, really it's not I, perfect. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'd say it's almost less that, like, it's less interested in characters and maybe that, like, Chris is just not as great a character writer at the same time he's really interested in the like psychological reality of every single character yeah, so he's yeah. like okay. interested in the right stuff for me this this would be something to revisit in the post read maybe because yeah. in order to really dig into that we'd have to do some more talk about some more details but i'll just say yeah. one other thing which is on the subject of kind of what it's like what this book is like i think it's worth noting that you know as you might expect from the title um, the Bible is a major mm-hmm. influence on this book. Um, and this mm-hmm. is very, you know, explicit. Chris Beckett's talked about it a lot. Um, obviously, it's right there in the title. Um, but not just in the obvious ways, not just in the like, you know. Uh, it's like po- an Adam and Eve story. Right. Of like the kind of original it's, it's, people on the it's planet. More, kind of there's the, the, his interaction with the stories of the Bible and the way that the Bible tells story and the purpose yeah. of a story in the Bible and the kinds of stories and the ways that people interact with those stories in their own communities and make them up and change them and lie about them. Those are all really, really big parts of this book. And so the Bible kind of, or the idea of the Bible is interwoven with so many aspects of it that it's it's a very Mm. interesting and i would say in particular the bible as the bible as something more than just a religious document it is that the bible as like a literary and historical document yeah the bible as a literary historical and religious document yeah it's almost you know like like i would say it's almost as if like like this is like a science fictional psychological real like version of exodus or something or if like what if the like bible story of exodus of like you know moses you know leaving leaving the desert or leaving egypt were like really about how moses felt and how his followers felt about him spoilers for exodus (laughs) (laughs) fuck off (laughs) (laughs) um right but like but I, I think that's a decent description of the book, right? Like it's this sort of like very kind of like interested story, but about this kind of like, you know, world or if not, you know, Exodus maybe wasn't like world changing, but was changing for the people who were involved in it um, for the Jews, I guess, in this mm-hmm. case. Um, yeah. So I think in terms of why. I, you know, wanted to read this book, you know, all like everything Matt said, I will just say in addition to that, you know, 
we've talked about it a lot on the podcast. Like it gets brought up all the time. And so I'm excited to actually like kind of read it and add it to, if we think of this podcast as, you know, in some ways like a shared collection of books that we've all read so that we can have like more and more in depth conversation about these books, you know, this pulls out a thread that a lot of different books we've read from like Romy Futch to children of time to semiosis, you know, and others, it pulls at these threads um, from those books. And, you know, I, I can only assume future books, we would also be referencing this and being able to like have this in our vocabulary is very interesting. And then, um, you know, also, uh, like my history with a book, you know, I pretty sure, like, I know that we read it for the like Reddit book club that I used to run. Um, and we actually had Chris on to like answer questions in the subreddit, um, the month that we read it there. So I will at some point like link to that thread. And, you know, part of what I enjoy about this book is that it's like a thoughtful book interested in this stuff. And like, he's a thoughtful guy interested in this stuff. And, you know, I've interacted with him like both on Reddit and like a bunch on Twitter since then and everything. And so there's this, you know, kind of thing of like, I really like his writing. I like all the books of his that I've read and I'm interested in also like the kind of like broader, like author story there. Um, you know, and, and particularly like, a, I think an author that is like often overlooked in the U S. Um, so I'm excited to be like, bring it to our U S audience, be like, this is good. It's a, at minimum, it's interesting and will like have you thinking and talking a lot, even if you don't like it. Um, you know, I think maybe it's worth talking a little bit like the, the U S response, you know, in the UK, it won the Arthur C. Clarke award and was like very highly praised in the U S the reviews were a lot more tepid of this book in particular. Um, and you know, we, 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 Matt, you linked it to me and I had read it earlier. Uh, NK Jemison wrote a review of it in the New York times and it was published in 2014. And she actually wrote a very negative review of it. Um, it was like, Oh, the world building's really interesting, but it's very like typical story about like, you know, like young men, like kind of like taking over the world sort of thing, which is true on the face of it. But I also think it, you know, yeah, does it's, something it's, more interesting with that it, story than she admitted to. I definitely want to talk about different ways of, reading this book but i think that also might be a better post read topic because i agree I, what i want to do is get into why i think that she's right and why i think that she's wrong and so right. i just want to like bring that yeah. up as like that that right. is a perspective on this book right. and kind of like the context of this book is that it you know and all of his books like are my understanding are fairly popular in england and are like not over here and like the question of like why is that is an interesting one to yeah me. i i don't even know that i would put it like yeah yes yes it, that's very true and it's it's worth mentioning um i i uh, i don't think you are saying this but it's worth saying i don't think it's because of nk jemison's review that this is the case it's just no, a, a no, representative not. of yeah you're not i don't i don't think you're saying that but it's it's just representative of, of the attitude, I think. That's exactly, that, uh, yeah. No, that's yeah. exactly my point, is that, like, audiences here treat the book differently than they do over there. And, like, wonder, that's a good reason or yeah, showcase I wonder, of that. Sorry, I wonder how much of that has yeah. to do with the publication history in, in the UK or in the US. With that delay, is there is that a common thing or is it on a smaller publisher here or a smaller publisher there or what's the, yeah, it's smaller publishers in both places. And he's changed publishers too more recently. Um, actually his new publisher 
has phenomenal cover artwork <laughs> like <laughs> check out his like uk cover art because yeah. it's fucking cool nice. um that you know that's how I, for, I forget who his publisher is and like i said he did change publishers recently um you know but beyond that i'm not i'm not sure i can't help feeling that there's some degree of actually just like cultural differences like okay. i was going to bring that up because i i was thinking about the books that he compares it this book too chris beckett compares dark eden and says that he was very influenced by books mm-hmm. like lord of the flies um which presumably many people are aware of that's a book that is widely read in america by william golding um brian aldis's halconia series which i don't think is particularly widely read in america that's a series of sci-fi books about um this sort of multi-millennia long history of this civilization um, mm-hmm. across many, many, many generations. Um, and it's po- post-apocalyptic. And also Russell Holbin's Ridley Walker, which is a, a, a British post-apocalyptic story set in the far, far future. Um, and these are, I mean, these are, these are you know, like... I think America, like it, it's, it's I, I'm, I'm conflicted, obviously. It, it's tempting to say on the one hand that like, the vibe in this book and the vibe of these sort of similar books is of, is like a not quite American post-apocalypse vibe. It's more, yeah. it's more, um, it almost reminds me of a kind of post-World War II British kind of like sort of the, the, the sort of sense of depressive, um, l- low expectations for the future just mm-hmm. trying to get by kind of sensibility um mm. which maybe even is not so much a post-war sensibility or maybe it's like the malaise of the 70s and 80s or something like that you know yeah, i, I say post-colonial kind of post-empire yeah stuff fall of empire you know um and 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 this sort of sensibility in my mind i associate with um you know people like uh uh jg ballard um, oh, who yeah, right. is of course not raised in the UK, but of British extraction and, and, British. you know, grew up in a British cultural milieu in Shanghai, but, but his post-apocalyptic stories or the stories of, I always mention her cause she's so interesting. Um, uh, Anna Kavan, mm-hmm. um, who's also, you know, from the UK, you know, they they were writing post-apocalyptic stories in the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s, um, and there, there are stories that are fundamentally depressing in a way that even like Cormac McCarthy isn't quite. <laughs> right. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, here's the thing about American post-apocalypse fiction is that like deep down, we're excited by the apocalypse because the Frontier. last time an apocalypse Cowboys. happened to like with us we caused it and it let us take (laughs) over the u.s right like to us like apocalypse is the ability to go and be an individual out on the frontier Yeah, it's our original sin it's like us leaving Mm -hmm. the gate Mm -hmm. whereas like you know i feel like european british whatever apocalypse often has more kind of like a like like it's sadder yeah it's 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 the black death to me the prototypical european apocalypse is the black death Mm -hmm. and the prototypical american apocalypse is the frontier Um, so maybe it maybe it came out you know in the in the u.s and u.s audiences start reading it get a feel for it that it has a post-apocalypse feel and then 
maybe it doesn't. And I don't know this for sure because I've just started reading it. Maybe it doesn't follow along the same path uh, that we're, that audiences in the U.S. would expect it to based on how we're primed from post-apocalyptic right. stories we've read before mm. and and comparing what we thought it was going to be with what it turned out to be. Mm. There's a dissonance there and then right. didn't go over I, as well or something. I instead really of, like instead that. of letting the book be what it was going to be and giving it that leeway to just to take you on the ride. The thing I... I, I really I, like that. I think there's something to that. I think there's also... It's complicated by the fact that, like, you know, again, not to get into spoilers, but like part of this book, like certain things of the book, if I were to describe them like story beats would almost feel more like the American version of the apocalypse that I just described. Like it actually it feels in some ways almost like commenting on that and like showcasing that. So, again, (laughs) not to get too deep into what the because the. I like, know the story I, and the way it evolves is really fascinating. So I don't want to get too deep. No, no, into no. That. I, I actually, I totally agree with that. And that's why in the beginning of my little spiel, I said that I was conflicted because like on the one mm-hmm. hand, I feel like there mm-hmm. is this, this, te- I want to say that there's this like, you know, tendency to a difference between European and American apocalypse. But on the other hand, this book is not so easy to categorize and yeah. it's not even completely a post-apocalyptic book at all. Um, right. And so maybe like ultimately, who knows, maybe it will become popular. I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. Um, right. But but I think there's there's a kind there's a way in which it's not what you expect. Yeah. Perhaps, I will say, too, there's something about the book that um, almost reminds me of like Catherine Bigelow the like director um, mm. where like her movies Hurt locker zero dark 30. Exactly. De- Detroit more recently. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, her, her movies for better or worse, like take this very like documentarian style where it's very much, you know, like traumatizing, but essentially like presenting a bunch of stuff and not necessarily like moralizing about any of it. Mm -hmm, Like she's mm -hmm. not interested necessarily in bringing her views to what she's doing or having, you know, and it's like, obviously every filmmaker brings their views to what they make. I'm not saying that like, it's completely apolitical in any way, just that like her style of filmmaking, like what she's interested is, is a kind of documentarian style of filmmaking. Um, and there's something similar in Beckett's writing. Again, it's like it's his story that's made up in a science fiction world. Obviously, like his ideas are inside of it. But the way he presents stuff is not necessarily, you know, I, I used good guys and bad guys earlier. And like, that's tr- true. I mean, there's protagonists and antagonists in the novel. Um and there's like characters who are clearly like shittier people than other characters, <laughs> but it's also not necessarily as interested in being like, well, this character is the protagonist so the things they're doing are good. Right. Um, right. And I think that is kind of a, you know, I, it's part of what I like about the novel. It's part of mm. what I enjoy about it is that like, I don't necessarily know what Beckett thinks about what is good and what is not, what is necessary and what is not, maybe what what are necessary evils or where like the outcome is good, but the like stuff leading up to it was bad. But that like was that necessary or not? Who knew? Like mm-hmm. it's kind of you know a- ambiguous or like maybe just like like in certain ways it feels like he's presenting this kind of like one story and vision of the world and like leaving it up to you a little bit to figure it out. 
Yeah, so I think I totally agree with that. And this actually, I think, is maybe another reason why it's hard to categorize and perhaps hard for people who don't know what to expect to get into it um, or, or for Americans to get into it or something like that, is that, you know, imagine reading a random Bible story without knowing it was from the Bible and therefore important. You know, I can imagine if I were <laughs> told to do that, it, it, suppose, you know, you're given a random selection from the Bible and you're told, inst- not only are you not, are you not told that it's important, but you're told in, instead that it's, it's, it's just for fun. It's pleasure reading. It's not important. Um, what would you think of that story? Um, well, I mean, it sort of depends. I mean, you know, but ultimately I think a lot of there's a lot of messiness and moral ambiguity and hard choices and trauma in mm-hmm. in those kinds of stories. And those are the, exactly the sorts of things that Chris Beckett is interested in. And he's not interested. Like, it's, it's like a different mode of storytelling almost from the popular novel. The popular novel is interested in catharsis. And, you know, the Bible isn't really... You know, some stories in the Bible, you know, have right. morals, but that's not the same thing as being well, interested especially in catharsis. the Old Testament is much less interested in catharsis yeah. than the New Testament right. is. Right, and that's what I'm thinking. Uh, there's something thinking very the like Testament. Old Testament about right, this, right, right, this right, right, book. Right, Old Testament. Uh, when I, I've been thinking of the Old Testament this whole time, whenever I've said Bible, I think it's much more that than the New Testament. Right. Yeah, I think I think definitely. Um, <laughs> man. Hopefully this makes sense to anyone listening. <laughs> well, it's fun for me as someone that doesn't know really anything about this book besides the first five or six chapters, hearing you kind of work around the things that you're wanting to say or you can't quite talk about yet, you know. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, no, this, this, is be... very, this is very interesting. The The comparisons with the Bible has me very intrigued with, with where this could go, uh, right. directions it could head in, yeah. This Do you know is... another interesting thing actually with all this talk? all the talk um, about the Bible. When I read this book, I didn't think about the Bible at all. The first time I read mm. it, I I was, oh, I completely man. did not think about that. That was not <laughs> my experience of it. I was constantly thinking about my upbringing while reading this book, which oh, is, you know, man. as okay. listeners know, is like a very like rural, religious, conservative upbringing. Um, that is and per- super interesting to me. Yeah, this is one of the big things I really want to talk about in the post-read. Is, ah. um, and part of also why this is really interesting coming off of the conversations with like Nate and Semiosis and talking about Alaska there is that like the particular context of like a small group of people and like their legends turning into myths and their myths turning into religions and like how that happens and how these stories are used as a form of social control um, mm. is really expertly portrayed in this mm, book. Great. Um, and yeah, that's and that, and that's something that I, I think is a uh, 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 cool I guess I I don't know. <laughs> Fucking it's <laughs> the, like the, it's something that it's like one of the you know I feel like this episode more than a lot of our pre-read episodes is us like 
putting a bunch like like pulling a bunch of threads out of kind of a threadbare sweater and like we're not pulling any of them out of the way we're just kind of letting them hang there and it's like i'm gonna pull that one well it's interesting because normally when we do this (laughs) i have not thought about the book so much before the pre-read yeah exactly and so this is instead a book that i've talked about and thought about a lot and so i just like Everything reminds me of a thing to say, but I got to... <laughs> everything gotta reminds me of everything. Got to hold it back. Yeah. <laughs> right. I feel like I have this really tight, like, neural web for this book. <laughs> I'm like, any one part pings and it all kind of lights up and it's, you know, oh, yeah. it's yeah. harder a, to talk about. A four hour uh, post read episode. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, you know, maybe we'll have a two parter here. <laughs> um, so also, there- you know... Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Matt. No, I was just going to ask you because you had mentioned wanting to talk about the language stuff, too. Yeah, actually, that's probably a good like this is something I can talk about now because I don't feel that it's a spoiler and that you learn it in the first fucking sentence of the book. Um, Mm. You know, the the people in this story and being set, you know, like five or so generations after like, you know, kind of anyone from earth has been on this planet. Uh, there's a lot of linguistic drift there's like, and the book is written from the first person of various characters, almost as if it's like an oral telling of them telling you the story. No, not quite that, but like almost that. Um, and it's, uh, so there's a lot of like, made up words there's a lot of linguistic drift so like words that they say in a particular way that like might have some relation to another word in like you know the version of english that we speak but is like changed in some way uh sometimes it's like purely like the sounds have changed sometimes the actual meaning of the word has changed and varied and sometimes even the syntax has so one one thing to pay attention to is reduplication which is the process by which of uh you know if I wanted to say something is, you know, like someone is very smart, I would say instead that he is smart, smart. I would just like use the adjective twice to like say like it's more of the single adjective. Uh, this is a linguistic phenomenon that tends to happen very frequently in younger languages. So we are talking about, you know, pigeons in particular creoles, which is sort of like the first generation of a language after it has been created by adults and then acquired by children like that's a creole um you know and other of these sorts of like contact languages often have reduplication as an element and that's an element in the way that they speak it's an important part of how they speak um and so the you know this is one of the things i really get excited about in this book is that for me it's a very good example of you know like it's not necessarily the best prose i've ever read you know it's not it's not a nabokov or even an ian banks level m john harrison like you know whoever level prose in the sense of like being like literary or whatever but it is one of the more interesting and better examples of like language change in a science fiction novel that I can think of. And one of the more interesting examples of like, you know, thinking through the sociolinguistic process by which it changed, right? Like there's a reason that the syntax is this way and kind of looks a little bit like a pigeon. And it's because that's also stuff that is used in baby talk. And these, like the first generation here. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Okay. 
I, like, I was going to be like spoiler spoiler alert, but you should. No, I think this is the background for the novel is that it's like, you know, people on a planet. There's this history of like, you know, there are only a few people in the first generation here from Earth. Um, and so this is just like everyone on this planet is their kids born on this planet. And so there were only ever a few adults speaking like earth English and they didn't really speak to each other as much as they spoke to their children. So the children learned English as it was spoken to them by their parents. Whereas in the real world, most children, you know, learning English, learn it. Sure. Like, you know, you, you talk to your kid in like baby English, but they don't acquire baby English. They don't grow up speaking baby English. They grow up speaking English, English in their version of it because they actually learn as much, if not more by listening to you talk to your own peers and then mirroring that talk with their own peers. Essentially like like language is recreated by every single generation with them figuring out together the language that they're going to speak together based on how they see adults interact with each other. Um, and that process didn't have a chance to happen in this first generation, right? Like the first generation on this planet, the only example of language they had was the language their parents spoke directly to them. Uh, and like, I find this just really fascinating of like that then led to all of these very specific, you know, the way that they don't have any curse, like curse words we would recognize from earth because their parents didn't curse at them. <laughs> Hmm. And so they have their own curse words that are often like, you know, kind of these bastardizations of various like, you know, earth English words um, or, you know, there's a lot of words for specific, you know, whether it's sex acts or, you know, w whatever that are, you know, kind of like their vulgar version is like, you know, one of our less vulgar versions, like our kids versions, like then turned vulgarized. Uh, and so this kind of like process of linguistic change is like present throughout the book. And is, you know, on the one hand, like, okay, this sounds like background or the way that it's written, but it also like really helps tell the story of like what happened to these people and this kind of like long-term trauma that they all carry of being alone. It's a, also a great example of the care that Beckett puts into every little detail in this book. A lot of things that maybe occur only in a couple of sentences in the book, terms that you know, he doesn't use very often or uh, objects that appear in the world infrequently. He nonetheless puts a lot of thought into exactly how it would work and why it's there so that you really get a sense that everything makes, everything has a reason. And even if you don't know what it is, so all of the words, for example, unlike so many books that make up language, this book has enough words that have an evolutionary history that is sensible and that you could plausibly piece together as a reader, even if it's never mentioned, that mm. it creates a sense of uh, a whole, uh, you know, lower part of an ice of the iceberg, a whole yeah. rest of the linguistic world that you're not even seeing. It really gives you a sense of this thing being bigger than what you're actually looking at, and and that that kind of care comes up in every other aspect of the book too, like. Everything mm -hmm. from the names of the characters to the small objects that are what and anything that you see on screen, so to speak, probably has been very carefully thought out, which I love. Right. I right. Like that. Yeah. 
that said, there are some like he has taken liberties with particular the hard science to be able to tell this particular story. Right. Like a true. So, you know, one of the things is that it's a wandering planet. Where does the heat come from? Oh, it's geothermal heat. Like there are these plants that like tap into the geothermal heat of the planet itself. Of course, why is there geothermal heat on a planet like Earth? Well, it's because of the sun and the moon. It's because like the, you know, gravity of these things create friction in the core. And like that, you know, is enough friction to actually melt rocks and like make it hot down there. Uh, There's no moon or sun in this system. So like how is there geothermal heat? It doesn't matter. There's no story if you don't have that. So like whatever. (laughs) There's ways you could make it work too. And, you know, I suppose headcanon or whatever. The planet could have been in a system and been. Uh, knocked out knocked out somehow or midichlorians yeah there you go right right and if you you know it's it is the kind of thing you know we we talk about how there's stuff with depth and then there's stuff with less depth and it's like okay that some of it doesn't have as much depth like the story Mm. is internally consistent like it's internally that's all all works right um if you worry too much i think especially about the hard science sure it doesn't work (laughs) but it's also just not really about the hard science as much it's rather like there to be an interesting and well-realized world yeah yeah that's a good way to put it i think there's this the way that he writes is all about creating um depth and uh density without that depth or density being necessarily connected to real things so like you know, the world is so different from Earth. Um, and there's a lot of things on this planet, including basic facts about the planet, like you were saying. But there's a lot of like life on this planet and 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 sort of features of the planet that may or may not, you know, make total sense. There were a few other things that I that maybe we'll talk about on the post read or whatever that are details that I remember thinking about when I was reading it. Mm-hmm. But but like internally, there's so much internally, there's so much depth and and consistency and care put into the details that you don't feel that, that I at least never found that I was worrying about disconnects between this and the real world. Instead, I felt like, oh, this is an incredibly elaborate diorama. It's like one of those incredibly elaborate dioramas. I don't know if you've ever seen that has trees that aren't the color of real trees but it's so beautiful and intricate hinting at a hinting at a complexity or hinting at a larger um story not story um at at larger happenings below the surface like you were saying the you know the underside of the iceberg i love that if it's it, it seems like it's building something that uh that can fully envelop you not necessarily encyclopedic but hinting mm. that it's there injects so much wonder into it oh yeah so true and it's the kind of thing where it feels it feels like he has done his research but is and is interested in like you know like building a world based on that research but he isn't here like being like look at all this research that i did like look at all the like things i learned rather it's like he learned them he built a consistent world with them and like so you see the effect of the research on the page without necessarily getting these info dumps about like oh guess Mm. what happens when x y and z happen 
So um, it's hiding his work instead of showing his work and telling a story yeah. in, in the world created by it. Okay. Yeah. Right. And it's definitely richer for the work, but it's also not like about the work necessarily. Gotcha. Um, which is nice. I mean, like there's a place for both things. I also like really geeky novels. <laughs> so like, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but like there's a, you know, this is a, it's funny. It's like he, it's not a geeky novel in a lot of ways, even while, it, like the underlying like foundation is <laughs> mm. i mean it's super yeah. geeky right like it's like oh yeah like uh, people crash land on a wandering planet and like there's you know like or like ooh, like how does linguistics change work you know it's like i <laughs> can geek out on like any like a whole bunch of different things but you know i can do that because it's rich not because he is like geeked out on them yeah t- in a weird way like Actually, I'm not going to make that comparison because that would be like too distracting. But I'll just continue the metaphor I was using before about the diorama. It's like he's like the guy who made an incredibly elaborate diorama, but he wants you to ride around in the train that's on the diorama. He doesn't want to like show you every little detail. He just wants to like set you up in that little train and let you ride around it. Yeah. And you'll see whatever you see, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like Breath of the Wild in that way. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) The comparison I was going to make was to Wes Anderson. Because I was reading a bunch of essays about Wes Anderson. That is kind of a messy comparison. But I do see what you mean by it. I do see what you mean by it. I would have to elaborate that extensively, and I choose not to. Yeah, It's much less twee than Wes Anderson. Let's just put it that way. It's not actually that vibe. (laughs) Right. Because it's not a precious book is the thing. You know, it's not precious about itself, um, which is nice. Um, Yeah, I don't don't know. I feel like, you know, again, like this is this is kind of a weird pre read to get all meta about it it's like oh good our 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 year anniversary episode is a weird one (laughs) have we made a non-weird episode uh we've had some good episodes (laughs) weird is good what are you saying weird is good i believe firmly that weird is good um but uh is there, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, are there any other major things that we wanted to talk about? I guess, Kevin, actually, I'm really curious. You've, you know, you've only read a chunk of the novel so far, obviously. But I'm curious, like, you know, one, are you enjoying it so far, even outside of what we've talked about, you know, kind of pre this context? And um, two, like, sort of like, you know, are, are, is there anything that we're missing? Or like, do you have any sort of like like, Ooh, I'm really interested in this thread and you guys haven't brought it up, that kind of thing. I am enjoying it so far. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to kind of read something that I haven't known anything about going into really at all. I didn't even read a synopsis, uh, before starting it, which is kind of a fun way to, to approach it. I do that sometimes, not always, but mm-hmm. I totally um, love that approach. Yeah, dude, because <laughs> it, it helps to not get trapped in some kind of expectation. Mm. Are you, are you I, taking I, notes, Adrian? <laughs> I, I do that guys too sometimes. <laughs> For instance, I have not looked up a single detail about anything about Breath of the Wild on the online. I've just learned it by playing it. So, oh there. wow, should we make a new spoiler episode where you like recant and just proclaim yourself my disciple? <laughs> no. At the same time, it's it's not. Um, I'm not. I'm not crazy about avoiding spoilers about something it's just uh, it's a fun way to go into something totally blind uh it's not always the way that i go into everything but 
but uh, I am enjoying it. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of some things that, that you may not have brought up. Um, I'm just really, I'm liking the way that, that the world that they're exploring so far differs so much from ours. Mm-hmm. Um, just the things that are just slightly different, small changes that you kind of take for granted. Um, but it's fun exploring those. And right. uh, really, I'm just along for the ride at this point. Um, I want to see where it goes and it's, it's kind of exciting not knowing particularly where it goes. And it's fun listening to you to work around, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, you, you, you've obviously read it several times and, and know what's going on here, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, I'm just along for the ride. Right. Well, and you know, I really appreciate you being willing to be along for the ride with us. I think if Likewise. we were to do this, us trying to talk about the book, just the two of us, it would like spiral out of control <laughs> really quickly. So like, I really appreciate your like presence here on this episode and to be able to talk about it actually like in yeah. depth once you've read it. It's vital. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just glad to, glad to experience it this way. It's going to be yeah, a really dude. fun thing. Do you have any questions that you have like not questions about the narrative of the book so much, but like things that the book makes you wonder about, like in terms of like larger themes or like, you know, maybe that's a weird thing to ask at this point reading it, but was there yeah. something that's been niggling at you as you've been going along or something like that? Somewhat it's, it's stuff that I'm assuming will be explored a lot more as the narrative unfolds and we'll probably talk a lot about in a post read episode, yeah. if it, if it's, if it's a theme, the way that I think it's a theme in the book, it, it seems concerned with storytelling as a yeah. tool almost. Mm. Um, and I know a lot of books are like that. A lot of novels, especially. And, and sometimes writers can take kind of, uh, an approach that, that, that seems a little self-congratulatory, um, in, in that, uh, sense, but this doesn't seem quite like that. It's more like it's interested in the ways that storytelling can be used. Um, and I'm assuming that kind of ties back into, into, uh, the comparisons with the Bible, um, which is sort of for, for a lot of people, um, a frame of reference of the different ways that stories influence, us or can be used as tools for different ends. Um, so it seems like it's interested in mythology. It's interested in storytelling. Um, some of the other things about it that have been interesting so far for me are, uh, the loss of very specialized knowledge among a group of people, um, where just in our everyday lives, we benefit from very specialized knowledge, things that we generally the the common population don't know much about definitely not enough to recreate um you know if it if those things were to disappear we were or we were somehow uh to lose access to those things what would we do how would we work around that you know right. is, it, is it possible to rebuild it would you rebuild it a little differently um if you even can you know so so losing that that kind of specialized knowledge and skill is a really interesting thing for me in this so far that it seems like it's exploring. Totally. Totally. Mm. And to to take us one step back, you mentioned something that I thought was really 
key and I just wanted to highlight again, which was that, you know, there like exploration is an element of the actual like story of the book. Like the characters explore their world. And it's really cool to be able to explore that world with them and with the world building so good that like you really want them to learn more so you can learn mm. more. Oh, I like that's yeah. this really compelling page turning kind of yeah. like style of writing for me in particular. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's to me that that's to me like one of the key things about a Crusoe style book where mm-hmm. you're building and, and sort of exploring like, right. It's building it's, and exploring. Right. It's that, that, and yeah, piece. it's, it's Minecraft in a book, you know, you're, mm-hmm. <laughs> you get dropped in this environment. It's breath of the wild. <laughs> oh my God. Books are just video games, kids. You can yeah. still enjoy sitting and looking at yeah, some I paper. Think, I think it's it's less that and more that like we can just stop reading and just play Breath of the Wild <laughs> for the rest. That, that's all we need. You know, I enjoy the I enjoy the being dropped dropped in the wild or dropped uh, in the deep end of something and and slowly understanding what it is as the character grows and and moves forward or as the world gets explored some more. That's something that it seems like science fiction and fantasy are are oftentimes all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's like if you don't like those kind of stories, this will be a tougher book. <laughs> like right. I know not everyone right. loves them and it's definitely right. that kind of right. book. Same with the linguistics. It's just there's no primer. There's no, you know, it, it drops you in with characters speaking in a certain way and you have to learn how to speak like they do. Um you have to learn how to read their language. It seemed like it pretty quickly answered some of the immediate questions though. It it, it didn't feel I mean after a chapter or two I was pretty comfortable understanding what's what's going on, but there were still larger questions and larger things that were that were uh, being explored. At a right, he's pace. not sadistic yeah. with it. It's not the kind of yeah. thing of like he's actively trying to hide it from you. Right, <laughs> but you do yeah. kind of have to learn it a little bit as you go. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think at this point, I'm I'm also thinking about um, doing a little bit about other similar books, many of which we've already mentioned, but there are some perhaps that we haven't. To me. Um, a book that I was thinking about a lot when I read this for the first time was Canticle for Leibovitz, um, mm. which we've mentioned a lot by Walter Miller Jr. That's, uh, you know, a classic of the genre. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, the um, the entire corpus of everything Ursula K. Le Guin has ever written, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which also we talk about a lot, but it's just... It's both that good and it's also that relevant. He's clearly indebted to her work. Definitely. Um, and I, you know, I think the, the, the thread of British post-apocalyptic science fiction is clearly big here, but there's also, like we've mentioned, but there's also, um, another thread in the history of science fiction of these sort of like really, really, really large scale civilization stories of which Foundation is probably the most famous, but of which there are many, many others. The Helconia series that I mentioned by Brian Aldiss is is one such series, um, which he, which Chris Beckett has said was a big influence on him. Um, but he also mentioned that Lord of the Rings was an influence on this book, which I found interesting. And that, in a way, is the same type of civilizational story. You know, the story of... Um, the, the the la longue durée of a civilization you know what i mean like the very 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 right. long term of 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 a of a of a, a a part of the world or of of a whole world or of a society or a group of societies that kind of scope you know this book um 
this book is 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 not about a long period of time. This book takes place during a, a short period of time and has the same set of characters for the whole book. Um, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it it is interested in those issues. I think because it's about the. It's almost like taking one of those stories and writing the beginning of it, right. and making a novel out of that. Um, so it, you know, in the, in that sense, it 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 almost reminds me of like, um, you know, a story from the Silmarillion or a story from one of the um, tales of Middle Earth, um, a piece mm-hmm. of ancient mythology in a secondary world, um, right. Right. Well, and, and that's also you know, like we were saying, it's less like it's a retelling of the whole Bible and more like it's like one particular book from the Bible. Like it's one mm. story from one of these kinds of texts instead of like the whole text overall. And then maybe the like trilogy works a little bit more as like, you know, a bunch of those kinds of stories taken from different times and like creates more of a whole. You know, it's like you're thinking of forward to the trilogy. We're, we're not... I don't think in a read and talk about all three of the books. Maybe we'll have a bonus episode about the other two at some point or something, but like we're really focused just on like this first book of the trilogy that mm-hmm. said like the trilogy overall is, you know, like there's some sharing of characters that's in the same world, obviously, but like it's more, it's one of these kind of like greater than the sum of its parts kind of trilogies where it's like three really thematically related books that mm-hmm. like read together really like create something mm-hmm. special and interesting. Mm-hmm. And also the third book in the trilogy is my favorite trilogy closer ever. Just ever yeah. for anything. I mean, um, I think so you, you, I think you made that exact point in another one of our episodes and it may well have been the children of time episode which is another book that this book reminds me of in some ways um which uh i don't think we've mentioned yet in this pod but we should like children of time which we read in our uh episode a couple months ago um in our episodes a couple months ago um also features this sort of in particular there are certain sections of it um well the whole spider section really but there's certain sections of the human part in particular that kind of feature society emerging yeah. um, and and are interested in very similar ideas to the ideas in this book about how that would act, how that would actually happen and how the the small decisions small changes in the initial conditions can in a chaotic system result in very large changes down the line um totally so that you know that i mean in a way like you know, I could keep going and list every single book that we've done on this pod as having <laughs> something to do with this book because the common thread right. is us, right? You know, this right. is a book we exactly. really like. <laughs> this is a book we like. This is a book in particular we like talking about. I mean, like, it's a book I really unabashedly love, but in particular, the way in which I love it is that I love thinking about its ideas and I love talking about its ideas and I love, like, engaging with it almost as a, you know... Yeah, engaging with it, like, not just as a story, but also as, like, a, a, a broader, like, ideas. Like, almost, you know, I almost engage with this in a similar way that I engage when I read actual history. Because I've, I've said this before, I really like reading narrative history books. Like, I love reading mm-hmm. books about history. It's, like, essentially, like, science fiction and then, like, nonfiction history books are the two kinds of books that I read. And, like, I actually get a lot of the same stuff that I get out of, like, 
the history when I read this book, mm-hmm. not necessarily the same stuff I get out of other science fiction. Strong agree. And that will make more sense after you've read the book. I'm not saying that like, oh, yeah, I learned stuff about Earth <laughs> from it or whatever. It's not like, oh, yeah, it's actually about this historical time period that I'm learning about. It's rather it's like the kinds of themes I'm interested in and engaging with. Kevin, was there were there any books that uh, that this reminded you of or that has it has reminded you of so far or that our conversations reminded you of? Not yet. I think I'm too early in it, really. To, to, to know. That's legit. I, yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't know which way it's going to go yet. And I was, I was trying to think of that earlier before coming on here. Um, and there's nothing that, that locks in enough to really mention just mm. yet. Yeah. It's, it is different. It's different from, from most everything else I've read. I think I, I could say it has a very different feel to it. Mm. Yeah, I I was just going to say, like, Matt has mentioned these books that it's similar to. And I and obviously we and I have brought it up frequently when talking about other books on this podcast. But just if you like asking me, like, here's Dark Eden as a book, what other books is it similar to? And I have a really hard time answering that question. Like, I, I can tell you, like, oh, here are other books that are interested in this, like, same theme and that, like, both discuss this one particular theme with it. But it's sure. hard to pick out a book that, like, shares a good chunk of those themes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope people like this. I feel like we're, 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 you know, I don't want to put it on a pedestal or talk it up more than it deserves. Like it has issues and we will talk about those issues. It has problems and we will talk about those problems. Um, you know, and I totally, you know, again, having read NK Jemison's review, like I understand her review and her perspective on this book. Like I get why she came at it that mm-hmm. way. And I don't think that it's like wrong necessarily. I disagree with her on certain elements of it, but I disagree with like my disagreement is like, Oh, I, my reading was different. Not like mm-hmm. the book didn't do that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I and feel so that's same. something to be, you know, it's like if folks don't, enjoy this especially like uh, i i understand that i think it's interesting and worth reading even if you don't enjoy it because there's so much depth to it but i also you know it's a very particular book like that's the flip side of this is like it's not necessarily going to be like the best book for everyone nor do i think it like should be yeah i think Mm -hmm. we've covered a, a a number of reasons why it might not be but i mean i guess just to reiterate one last time it's interested in trauma and traumatic things. Um, so, oh, oh, I wasn't even thinking about the like content warning mm. stuff. I was actually thinking more in terms of like, like from a literary perspective, like mm. the way, like his writing style is particular. You know, I, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily, yep. like I said earlier, it's like not necessarily the best prose. He also like, he tells a very particular type of story. Uh, and the book is like interested in doing certain particular things. And it's like, it's specific. It's very much, it is what it is. And it's not necessarily trying to please everyone. And in that it won't please everyone. <laughs> mm. Sounds good. I'm excited to talk about it more. Me How do we feel too. guys? I feel like we should wrap her up and uh, talk, talk next time. (laughs) Dear God. I I should say, I I, I also really love the linguistic stuff in this book. And one of the things I always wonder about in these, I was wondering about this with semiosis also, is like, you know, 
there are other like people sometimes don't want to be understood and like I, I want there to be one of these colony books where multiple languages are spoken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like in semiosis in particular, they kind of like specify why, you know, they all speak English and it makes sense and it's reasonable. In this book, it also is reasonable. It's not something that bothered me um, in terms of like being a continuity error or not making sense or whatever, because there's so few people mm -hmm. like, you know, it makes sense to speak all the same language. And the way he handles the drift over time is great. But I just want there to be more than one language. I love multiple languages. That's so cool. Yeah. That's harder. I mean, that is harder to write. It is. He does a little bit of that in the second book. It's true. Book. He does. He does. In the second, in the second book. Right. Um, and, but I do think that's a, that's a really interesting idea, Matt. One that I hadn't anyway. thought about as much. The only book I know that's a popular book in American sci-fi, quote unquote sci-fi, that does that is the Baroque cycle by Neil Stevenson. He actually has like sections that are in French, which is so ballsy and I appeals to like a very small number of people. Right. <laughs> it's funny. I was actually kind of thinking of, um, uh, David Mitchell cloud Atlas. Mm. Oh, definitely. But you're right. I mean, outside of that, I can't think of a lot of novels. There are especially like it's hard enough to create one language to create two languages is also like, a well, lot to yeah, ask. I mean, <laughs> but you don't really like it, it, it would be very difficult. It would be a huge undertaking, but I don't know that it would be any huger than the variety of other huge undertakings that went into this book, for example. I mean, it, you know, uh, yeah. Anyway, it would be cool. I'll wait. I'm sure someday <laughs> I'll be satisfied. You should you should write that book. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> cool. We'll um okay, any other final thoughts? I'm good. I'm just excited to read this. Yeah. Excellent. You know, I think final thought, thank you again, Kevin, for coming on. Yes. Yeah. Thanks to usually structured episode for for a guest, but it's been like really nice to have you for us. <laughs> I hope that's been mirrored. Water and sunshine, dude. I'm glad yep. to be back on. I had a really good time talking last time. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to the post reader. We can all like me too. You know, argue about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Well, you know, thanks again. Um, Her Herodos.com, right? Herodos.com. Herodos. Right? Yeah. Her I it's pronounced a, it's that a wrong weird word. H-E-R-A-D-A-S. Um, so, you know, we'll obviously link to all of that in the show notes. Uh, it's cool too. Like I really like your science fiction reviews. Uh, oh, cool. you know, I've Thank definitely you. like clicked through and read them. So, you know, fun folks should folks if like yeah definitely if you like check the it stuff out. we talk about then like their reviews that engage with the kind same kind of thing but are like written so it's definitely worth checking out for our audience um different mediums oh what? yeah media different media um <laughs> plural of medium is media this is english dude this ain't this ain't latin <laughs> Or Greek. This, this is, is the hill English. I will die on. <laughs> it's, you know what? It's not octopodes. All right. Yes, it is. Nor should it be octopi. This is the one weird. It's play octopuses. <laughs> I like octipodes more for some reason. Octipodes. <laughs> Ooh, I do like that. That's how I'm going to start <laughs> pronouncing that. I. This is the one weird. Like you know, I'm usually like very much linguistics 
relativist due to like my linguistics background. But the one weird hill I will die on is like make Latin plurals correctly. Oh my God. When you <laughs> hit your mic, I don't know if it makes it more likely that I'll agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I People don't need to ad- agree. I just need to be able to be mad about it. Oh, man. All right. Well, I think you are incorrect and correct. Um. (laughs) Fair, fair. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Thank you again, guys. Also, you know, I guess we should do the the wrap up text here. Um, You know, thanks to WJ for our music that you're hearing right now. Thanks to Noah Bradley for our artwork. Um, You can find us at Pod on twitter you can also email us spectologypod at gmail.com i love chatting with people on the internet uh so do either of those things and you'll get a reply from me um you know we'll be back at the end of the month with our post read for dark eden uh we'll have a lot to say it'll probably be in a stupidly long episode <laughs> don't, um, don't build up expectations now it has to be <laughs> well that's part of why i'm doing it um really locking you in for that long episode matt um <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I guess also like, thanks to everyone for sticking around for a year. I mean, it's kind of insane that this is our 13th book, um, lucky number 13 and that we're, you know, still doing it. And like, you know, we're growing more people listen to us all the time. So we're clearly, you know, not doing everything wrong at very least. <laughs> so, or they're, know, hate, or they're all hate listening. I mean, that's okay. Oh man. Like, I'll take it. I'll yeah, take it. I, 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 I hope some people hate listen to it. Like, if people hate listen to this, then, like, that actually makes me really happy. <laughs> Which, like, sorry if you do, but, you know. <laughs> it means, oh, it means they're passionate. And that's all. We just that's lost, need, we just lost 20% of our <laughs> audience because Adrian said something that will make it impossible for them right. to hate it anymore. <laughs> said something nice to the haters. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, you know, just thank you to everyone and and we will be back later. Um, Bye, guys. Peace out. See ya. Food and shelter.